welcome along to this week's RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Giallo, joined by Anthony Pine and Ed Leahy this week. The interview this week is going to be with football journalist Michael Walker. I was chatting to him a little bit earlier on. He wrote a piece for The Athletic, which is around Brexit's impact on young Irish footballers and why more are heading for the continent. So that's coming up in a little while. But before that, it's been a busy week in terms of transfers. There's been deadline day, of course. But before we get to some of the moves involving some of Stephen Kenny's squad, we wanted to touch on uh, a member of Vera Powell's squad who has just joined Manchester United, Diane Caldwell. Anthony, obviously an exciting move for her, especially given the fact she has supported United for her entire life. Yeah, it is. And, and the, the, the images that came out, I think Manchester United's women's Twitter account uh, released really good photos from her coming to Old Trafford and getting a look at the stadium. And you can see in her face, um, it must have been really surreal, a surreal moment for Diane Cowell because she grew up uh, a diehard Manchester United fan. Like Diane would have played football with boys growing up there probably wasn't that many girls teams if any around at that time and there was no Manchester United women's team until very recently so it it couldn't have even been an aspiration for her or a dream to play for Manchester United it just wasn't possible when she was a kid so for her to get there now today um, it must have been a really special moment for her and, and we know it is because she said so herself and she's also coming into a, a pretty decent team. Like they're well placed in the women's super league. They've still got an outside chance of actually winning the league. So she's coming in at a good time, uh, and it is it's it's a great move for her. And she'd be a really good addition to them too, because you know as we know she's a very solid defender. She's had a, a really interesting and and very well travelled career. So yeah, it's it's a great moment for her. Yeah, and hopefully we'll be chatting to her in the next couple of weeks. Um, Ed, you and myself, we were both working deadline day. And of course, there were a few moves that just happened right at the very end, actually after the deadline that were confirmed, um, which was Jamie McGrath going to Wigan and then Jeff Hendrick going to QPR. Maybe on Hendrick first, uh, Ed, uh, he's obviously like he, he didn't really have much of a role left at Newcastle given the trajectory that they're on, but where QPR at as a promotion chaser or chaser in the championship, it's obviously a fairly exciting move for him. Yeah. Um, look, I suppose we'll just to, yeah, just to touch on Diane, uh, Diane's move to United first. Uh, I think it's a, it's a great move for her specifically um, from an international perspective. You get the impression that maybe Diane's place is under threat uh, in various selection. Um, you know, herself and Louise are very similar, but they actually work really well together. And I think Vera has tried to sort of break it up a little bit, but I think she sort of realizes well how important their partnership is. So Diane needs to be playing regularly to convince or to remain, I think, in Vera's starting 11, because she's tried to bring in maybe Savannah McCarthy into. Uh, mix that up a bit at the back, but she's a threat at the at the not not only at the back, but she's a threat going forward. She's a real, real uh, target uh, for set pieces, and she's tough as nails, and she throws herself at everything. Like Louise, they're just two great players to have in the Ireland setup at the moment. I think the United fans will really appreciate her, and for someone like her who's come, you know, she's 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 travelled the world playing football because that you know she she's loving and she's loving every experience that she's taken there. She's taking the experiences from wherever she goes, and she's really now, I think, a couple of years after that to really impress in the English top league, which would be great, you know. But uh, I suppose, yeah, well, the, the transfer has been a busy week in that sense from the transfer point of view. Um, 
God, yeah, we weren't sure if Jeff was going to get away in the end, were we? Like, I suppose he, there's only so much you can take of being called a, a poor man's John Joe Shelby, you know? Like, if, if, if he's keeping you out of the, the team in, in, a, in Newcastle, and I like Shelby to a certain extent, I like what he brings. I think Jeff is a similar type of player. Um, but I think Jeff would need to tap into what he did at, in the Ireland team and bring that to Loftus Road. Um, he can he can really add a little bit to that QPR midfield, a little bit of composure, a bit of experience, and he will drive them forward. I think you know he, the way he's doing with Stephen's team now, maybe sitting in that little little pocket in front of the defence and really you know drive the team on, and hopefully hopefully he gets a good run on the team now and. Like, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Dunn sitting behind playing excellent football as well. It's, it's exciting to be a Hoops fan, I suppose, at the moment. We keep an eye on the Hoops uh, for the rest of the season. Yeah, and uh, Jamie McGraw also, I think it was just minutes before the Jeff Hendrick uh, move was confirmed, we found out he was uh, going to Wigan because, again, the entire transfer window, we'd been waiting on a move for him. And where was he going to go after St. Mirren? Aberdeen, he'd been linked to it. And then there were clubs in the championship. And then finally, it's League One with Wigan. But again, people might look at it and think that's a strange move. But of course, they're upwardly mobile and they're, they've are they about three games in hand on Rotherham. They're second in League One. So it's uh, it seems like uh, he will be playing championship football next season. You would think that for sure. Um, yeah, like again, Jamie's, you know, as manager said, his head's been turned during the transfer window. And like, I, I don't know what, like, I don't know the advice he's getting or what sort of, was there, you know, was he waiting on bigger clubs to come in? Because he just kept hearing about stuff like Hibs and stuff, which could essentially be a sideways move from St. Mirren in, in his current scenario. Um, like, it might be an unpopular opinion, but I think I don't think we've seen the best of Jamie in the green shirt yet. I think he, he's done well since he's come in and he came in in extraordinary circumstances into Stephen Kenny's team. Um, so, uh, he probably wasn't expected to be elevated that quickly. Um, he's he's better than his, than his performances have been in the green jersey, I think. And it'll be interesting to see him playing in a strong winning team like Wigan. And that's what they are. You know, they are going to be more than likely playing championship football next year. And someone like him can really have a positive impact in a team that's winning because we'll see the best of them, I think, in that sense. And hopefully then... That will that will spill into March uh, by the time the international games come along. He'll be he'll have the confidence to be have a bit more belief when he when he puts on the green jersey. I think. Yeah, and of course he name-checked James McLean, who he said rang him many times in order to try and get, well, just to give him, I suppose, a bit of information about the club, make sure he's going to be welcomed. Um, I suppose, Anthony, if we look at James McLean's uh, experience since he's got, gone back to Wigan, it seems to have done him wonders, and we've kind of seen the benefit of that in an Ireland shirt, uh, in the, especially in the last year or so. Yeah, no, no, Ed makes a really good point that this this could turn out to be a very smart move from Jamie McGrath. And to go back to Jeff Hendrick, Jeff Hendrick has been, and it, it's not his own fault, obviously, but because of the new ownership at Newcastle, he's seen as an emblem of the past, of the Steve Bruce era, you know, an uninspiring uh, signing from the Newcastle fans' point of view. Um, and it's it's you know, he hasn't got a lot of respect there, so he definitely needed to get out. I mean, he there was a danger he wasn't going to be in their uh, revised Premier League squad because they brought in Guimaraes, you know, the, the big sign in the, in the window. 
So he, he absolutely had to get out. But Jeff Hendrick has played more games in his career in the championship than he has in the Premier League, you know, from his time at Derby County. And if you think of Jeff back then, the type of player that he was and into Euro 2016, he was, he was creative and he had vision and he took risks in the same way that Jamie McGrath uh, is capable of. And, and we've seen Jamie McGrath do. And a move to Wigan in League One, you know, he's a, that's a big deal for Wigan to get him. They're really excited about bringing him on board. So he's going to go in as the main man into that team and he's going to be emboldened. And you hope that he can kick on and express himself and play the way he's capable. And you'd hope that Jeff Hendrick uh, in, in stepping back to the championship can do the same because we've seen flashes of it towards the tail end of the Ireland campaign um, against Luxembourg uh, and Portugal. There was a, a pass he played against Luxembourg for one of the goals that was really, really brilliant pass. If you remember, he just great vision. The type of pass that a lot of players don't see. That People forget that that's what Jeff Hendrick can bring to the table. Like, I think as he's got older, and because it's so difficult to have a prolonged career in the Premier League, I think Jeff Hendrick has got a little bit uh, conservative over the years. He plays within himself and that doesn't suit him. You need him to be able to confident enough to take risks and to try different things, which I think Stephen Kenny has done a good job in starting to bring that out in him. Uh, and he's all the better for it. So the, the, for, the, for both of those players, we hope that this will, this will uh, benefit them in that way that, it will embolden them to, to be confident and to express themselves, to take risks on the pitch and to be creative because they're both very capable of it. Yeah, and closer to home, of course, there have been uh, some moves uh, among the League of Ireland clubs. There's Stephen Bradley joining Dundalk, of course. Uh, just to clarify, that is not the Shamrock Rovers head coach uh, suddenly making a move over to Dundalk. This is uh, this is Stephen Bradley with a V moving on loan from Hibs. And off the back of a couple of Welsh under-21 internationals moving, again, some interesting moves from Dundalk. Anthony? Yeah, the Bradley one uh, kind of reminds me a few years ago that the tr around the time the US elections were Trump beaten headlines were getting loads of traffic uh, in the sports sections. Uh, Judd Trump was <laughs> playing in the snooker at the time. Um, Stephen Bradley, I, I don't know a huge amount about this lad, uh, Raf, to be honest with you, but it's interesting. His quotes were interesting because he talked about um, some of the League of Ireland players who've come to to Scotland and done well. Uh, I think he mentioned Daryl Horgan and Jamie McGrath. Jamie, yeah. Um, and and he, it, it shows you kind of that the League of Ireland's reputation as a place where players like himself can go and uh, get football in a, in a competitive environment and then come back stronger for it. You know, he, he's well thought of. He must be well thought of his because they, they've given him a, a pretty good contract recently enough. So he seems from, just from what... Um, was said of him after the move, he seems to be a kind of attacking, exciting player. I don't know, I haven't seen him, but we'll see. Um, it's it's another acquisition for Dundalk, and this is this is what makes the start of a League of Ireland season exciting. Like there tends to be a lot of new faces on a lot of teams. It's it's a clean slate, um, and we'll see. It's going to be very interesting to see how. Stephen O'Donnell makes it all gel and click. And if you can, because this is shaping up to be a very, very competitive season this year. Uh, obviously, Dundalk will want to be getting back in the mix, but they're, they're not just competing with Jamma Grovers, I don't think. I think St. Pat's and Derry City might have more of a say this year. So, um, yeah, it's an exciting, exciting year ahead. 
Yeah, and Derry City specifically also signed uh, Matty Smith from Pats and uh, uh, Ed, I suppose, with all the uh, the other signings they've made, especially those who have kind of returned like Michael Duffy and Patrick McElhenney, it just kind of bolsters that idea that there is something exciting burgeoning there. Whether it comes together, we'll only find out in due course. This is it, yeah. Um, God, when you look at the players who've left St. Pats, you sort of... You worry for them a little bit, you know, that they're they're back in, you know, they're going all the progress they made last season and they're going back again really to, to rebuild and, and go again. Like you know, Dundalk the same there in a rebuild. And you'd sort of wonder maybe you'd wonder about the how competitive the league will be. Like from Sean McGrover's point of view, they're pretty settled going into this into this campaign. Um, and you'd have to think they'd be probably stronger favourites this year, even going going into it. Um, be interesting to see how Sligo um, maintained the, the season this year. But yeah, I think I think you're right, Raf. That Derry is the team that everyone is looking at to really put it up to the to Rovers this year because they have the out of all the teams they've got that bit of continuity and momentum from the end of last season that they could bring into this season. <sighs> yeah, like I, I think they're doing a great job up there, and I think. When you see some of the players they've brought back, experienced players, and you know, if, they, if they can make the, the Brandywell back into that fortress um, and get the home form, you know, if they can get their home form strong, and then like obviously they have a lot of traveling to do around the, around the, around the country, but a, a big, strong Brandywell will, will stop the other teams from, from coming and taking the points there. So they'll be the ones to watch. and, and uh, They've definitely got the most interesting squad um, that could challenge, I think, yeah. Yeah, and I think maybe added, uh, it's the fact that these are players who are coming back, so the adaptation process is not going to be quite as long as somebody maybe who doesn't know the area or doesn't know the club. These are locals who have uh, past history as well. Yeah, and that's what he say. And the local element is huge up in there because uh, when they get going, like Sligo, um, it becomes that one team town which is the envy of the Dublin clubs you know the, when Cork when Cork went on their run that's, that was one thing that they had the, the one team the one team town Sligo when they get going they get the whole town like you walk around Sligo and it's just football, football, football Rovers, Rovers, Rovers and uh, that's all it is it's the same in Derry and when the Brandywell gets going it's a, it's a horrible place to go to as, a, as an away team yeah, and Anthony, another move uh, that just happened in the last few days, of course, as well, Jordan Flores returning to the League of Ireland, uh, going to Bowes, and uh, he's just arrived from Northampton Town. Of course, uh, past history, there was that viral clip uh, back in, uh, I think, the start of the 2020 season when he scored an absolute worldie against Shamrock Rovers. Yeah, um, he's had a tough time, though, at, at Northampton. Like, he wasn't playing. They, they cancelled his contract, so Bowes have brought him back, and... You know, Ed talks about continuity and momentum, which is the exact opposite of what Bohemians have this year. Again, you know, they have to rebuild. They, they brought in Flores. Um, Twardek is a good signing for them. Junior, uh, Ryan Cassidy, the, the, young, the young player from Watford. Um, so this is another big challenge for, for Keith Long to, to try and rebuild again. Uh, and I'm sure they'll probably... Um, blood a, a couple of young players that they always seem to have got a really good conveyor belt there and they seem to be very good at developing uh, good young players uh, Jamie Mullen is, is is a very nice footballer that's well thought of there so and actually it looks like they've done quite well to hold on to him because there was talk that he might be 
on the way or who knows in the summer maybe he still will um but it's another big challenge for bowls um they have we, we've seen Keith Long do it for the last few seasons but you know it never gets any easier um but we'll see you know we'll see it's, it's very hard to predict at this point isn't it like as you know, Ed talking about Derry uh where St. Pat's I, I think St. Pat's are gonna have a good year but <laughs> it is true to say there's, there's a lot of variables like they have a new manager they have a lot of new faces so it, it is quite hard to predict and also with like the momentum of the cup you know they, they could barely the dust had barely settled on that cup win before all that happened with the manager leaving and you know left a bit of a sour taste but um yeah as i said like with it remains to be seen. Uh, I do feel sorry for Bowles in the way that they've been stripped again over the winter, but it looks like they've made some smart acquisitions. And as you say, like the likes of Flores, who knows the league, and, and maybe just a little bit of a, a wiser head in the dressing room to help any young players that will be coming through will be important for them this year. Yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned young players there, and I suppose it fits into the team of uh, the interview with Michael Walker that we'll be, we're about to bring you in terms of the impact of Brexit and how it's kind of closed down the pathway for players who are in and around 16 going to England, but now uh, going further afield and Carl Heffernan, of course, uh, going to AC Milan, Ed. Um, I mean, this had been in the works for a while, but obviously confirmed uh, confirmed a couple of days ago. So and this could be potentially huge depending on how he develops. And even if it doesn't end up going to uh, into the Milan first team at some point down the line, um, the football education he's going to get is going to be unbelievable. Yeah, look, we're all we're all getting very excited seeing Irish players sign for Italian clubs. Uh, but let's you know, let's not get carried away. It, it's probably just the equivalent of 16, 17 year olds joining Man United in Liverpool ten years ago. Like we always do keep an eye on. You know, when the when the players went to you know United, or Liverpool, you know your Mark Kennys, your Desi Bakers, all these lads who, who were there knocking on the door of, of, of making it but didn't didn't make it come back and stuff um kevin zeffi is another who's gone to inter milan real prospect him and i suppose a, a banquet of the, of the of the three who've gone to italy is probably that bit more advanced in his uh in his career at the moment um i suppose it just needs one of them to do well um early I and mean, suddenly you, you'll get more clubs coming knocking but it's it's a great move for these lads, it's not, not just from a football perspective, but from a life lifestyle perspective and a life experience. Um, it's not your cliche uh, move to the English lower leagues, staying in digs, you know, getting involved in that sort of English football culture. And it's, we've just seen so many heartbreaking stories of players who've come back from that, absolutely disillusioned with the game. In Italy, you like to think it's a, it's an education in football as well. It's it's part of you know it's it's a different sort of approach. You remember even when the likes of Beckham went there in the later years, how he learned you know about their approach to the game, to training, to diet. Uh, obviously, the English game has, has evolved hugely over the last ten years, twenty years. But like, just it's nice for them to go maybe learn a, learn a new language. Um, and yeah, play football at a different sort of in a different style, and it's suiting this new generation of Irish players who are coming through with that emphasis on possession and the emphasis on playing out from the back and holding on to the ball. And you know that can only be good for Irish football, even if these lads come back in two or three years and they're coming back with like that that um, added added experience. It can only it can only benefit Irish football as a whole. 
Yeah, and just before we bring you the interview with Michael Walker, Cahill Heffernan was speaking to Tony O'Donoghue, our, our soccer correspondent here at RTE, um, just about just before the move was uh, was confirmed, and also his father and mother, who are both Olympians, Rob and Marion, were also speaking. So here's a clip from that, and then the interview with Michael Walker, the football journalist, who's written a really interesting article on this subject for the Athletic. At times, it just doesn't even feel real. Like it's just, it's all, it's just all. It's a dream, like for me. You know, it's and hopefully, like I'm just raring to get started now. I think he'll do really well, like because he's gone through a lot in the last couple of years, and he's he's progressed really well internationally. He's been on a lot of trials. The Brexit thing was obviously a big blow at the time. So with Stephen Ireland's help, getting contacts in Europe and being to them clubs and, and a lot of them came really close and he's gone through a lot of disappointments as well. All right, Michael, uh, thanks a million for taking the time to chat to me. Uh, your piece in The Athletic, it's titled Brexit denies Irish youngsters a clear path to English football, but they have new options, which perfectly encapsulates the topic we're going to talk about now. Um, you talked to a lot of different voices in the article and one of them is Ger O'Brien, who is... Uh, uh, an important figure in terms of the overseeing of the academy at St. Patrick's Athletic and he makes an interesting observation to you that it's not so much scouts coming over to Ireland in greater numbers from Europe that's leading to this the the number of players uh, heading over to the continent it seems to be a case that it's a lot more agents and intermediaries being involved Yes, well, that, that's, what, that's his experience so, you know, I would, I would take him at his word uh, and I think that the, in general, not just in Ireland, but uh, in the UK and in Europe, the um, the rush to sign players at a young age has, we thought it was probably pretty fast 20 years ago, but it's just accelerated. And uh, so there is this constant desire to get the best 14-year-old, the best 12-year-old, you know, and you hear even younger. So th th that phenomenon may not have existed in Ireland um, until Brexit, but it's certainly there now, and that puts it in line with um, the you know the UK and the rest of Europe, and those those networks will will only grow. You would imagine as as um, as time goes on, you know, and uh, I mean we've seen an immediate impact of Brexit, but over years it will be interesting to see if if it evolves into really strong networks large networks and different structures yeah and um as i think Ger brian said it to you there glory and zingo one of the players that has moved in the last couple of years and he's gone to stad rem in france i mean he's with a massive agency like wasserman who if you're involved in uh, football media or whatever, we would all be sort of familiar with those. So it is opening doors further afield. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, their, their contacts are, you know, Europe-wide and worldwide. So that's, so that's you know, they will, they will identify the best young boys, as, as will lots of similar, you know, agencies will identify the best young boys. It's no, it's no longer just, you know, home farm you know, doing it or Cherry Orchard doing it. You know, you've got these um, uh, organisations doing it and, you know, there's money in it and that's, you know, that's why they're doing it. And historically, um, Gloria and Zingo would have gone to, you know, Man United or Liverpool probably. And, um, but now they have contacts uh, abroad uh, and, it's, and they can facilitate it and it's just an easier 
bureaucratic path, you know. So it may be that he comes back to, um, you know, comes into UK football aged 18. We have to see that, you know. We have, again, again, you know, you know, we are in the earliest of days, so it's it's hard to it's hard to tell exactly, but we may get the we may get the buying of clubs. You know, these this multi club model may sort of take effect, and so you may get players parked, uh, to use the, the phrase, in um, in Belgium or you know wherever. Uh, until they're 18 and then, you know, brought across to England. So, for example, if Brighton wanted to sign a very good 16-year-old Irish boy, they might um, allow that. They might facilitate his move to um, their club in Belgium and then and then at 18 he comes back into Brighton. Now, the legality of all that is, uh, you know, you'd have to be tested, I think. Yeah. And as you said, Brexit has been the the thing that has played the biggest impact in leading to this surge of players. And even this week, Cahill Heffernan, who you mentioned in the piece, he'd been on trial across uh, different uh, different places in Europe, including including Italy, has now signed for AC Milan. And his dad was speaking to our soccer correspondent, Tony O'Donoghue, um, and mentioned that, well, his dad, of course, who's a well-known Olympian, as is his mother, uh, but Rob Heffernan... Yeah. Rob Heffernan um, Reference that the Brexit restrictions and how they'd come in had been a bit of a blow for for their son in regards to trying to get a move across. But of course, then he mentioned Stephen Ireland, who's also from Cork, who has who's involved in the football agency world now, and he's opening doors yeah. to the continent. Yeah, that's you know, so that's that's definitely uh, you know, you know what's going on, and someone like Stephen Ireland, given his. Um, uh, you know, several clubs in England will just have he'll have just made lots of contacts, and that will you know if that's if he's able to ring you know a prominent Italian and say look you know uh, there's there's a 16 year old Irish boy you should be looking at you know then those clubs are those clubs are going to take the chance because you know it's not I can't imagine it's an absolutely vast commitment um, financially for AC Milan. So what they um, offer Inter Milan with, with Kevin Zeffi. So you, you just sort of think it's worth taking a chance. I mean, you hear that a lot. It's worth taking a punt, you know. And um, so I think as long as as long as the the Irish boys' welfare is is um, looked after, then it's these are really interesting moves, and it's a really interesting education that they're going to get. It's going to be a different education from your traditional. Uh, English Academy education, so I, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting and pretty exciting. You know, the idea of going to PSV Eindhoven at sixteen to me seems as interesting as going to Everton. Um, so, I and, and it might actually be, it might actually suit the the style of play, and it might it might suit the boys in terms of. The competitive environment might be slightly less, and that might make it easier. We, ex- I think, we expect far too much of boys at sixteen. We really do, at physical level and at emotional level. And I think one of the one of the best things about Brexit has been the number of boys who are staying. And I think that's really, it's really good for them, good for the family, good for League of Ireland clubs, and and hopefully then they can go across if they want to, whenever 
whenever they're more mature physically and mentally and emotionally and they can make more of an impact and enjoy it more because even if you go across at 24 you can still get 10 years out of it you don't have to go across at 16 there's this kind of rush that there's always been and I, I, I think this pauses that and hopefully will have a beneficial effect on Irish boys yeah, it actually tallies with something. Um, I was interviewing Jim Goodwin, the St. Mirren manager, back in October last year, and um, he has a load of Irish players on his books uh, over there. Jamie McGrath has just left, um, who we would have brought over from Dundalk. And specifically about Jamie McGrath, he was talking about how he would rather sign a player from the League of Ireland with 50 to 100 games behind him, rather than, or and specifically senior games, rather than somebody who's gone through a Premier League academy, has only played under 23 football. So that really ties in um, to Killian Phillips, who you mentioned in your piece, who was signed by Crystal Palace uh, from Drogheda United um, at the age of 19, because, of course, once he's over 18, the common travel area allows him to move over to England without the restrictions that another type of European footballer might have to uh, adhere to. Yeah, I, I mean, I've never seen Killian Phillips play, but um, I'm told that at, at 16, he may not have been the standout boy, you know, in Irish football. But by 19, he's developed into a different physical specimen and mentally he's developed. And that is, I think that's proof. So, I, you know, it, I think that would be really good if he succeeds because it would show that this demand to go at 16 has to be questioned and has to be looked at again just because it's always happened doesn't mean it's right you know we there are countless there must be thousands tens of thousands of irish boys who've gone across at um 16 15 16 17 and have come home you know and it hasn't worked and i just think that if you can go across at 19 you think of the difference in all of us between being 16 and 19 how we think, how we behave, how we view the world. You know, it's a, it's a huge difference. And I think that could be really, really good for Irish football. I, I hope so, anyway. Yeah, and I guess at the same time as well, even if Brexit maybe had not happened, the fact that it's become harder even for, uh, you know, English, English lads, let alone Irish players coming through academies, uh, that in the long term, players probably would have had to look at other options because... Um, obviously, you know, you take clubs like Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United, the and probably the whole way down the way through the league, they're in a position where they tend to sign players from all over the world. Yeah, and 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 that will still happen, you know. So I, but the, a change in law is is a different thing between a change in a you know a, a trend. That's those are two different things, and a change in law means that people have to address the future differently. And if League of Ireland clubs can get some funding, some government funding, then they can address their facilities, um, their coaching levels, their numbers, um, their professionalism. And that will, again, over a period of time, you know, that might take five years, might take 10 years, might be 10 years where, you know, people were writing articles about the benefit of, 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 you know, with the articles called how Brexit changed Irish football for the better or whatever it is but that would be dependent on um, sufficient funding coming in so we, 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 we just have to wait on seeing that and, uh, and hope that the investment comes in if it does I think it 
can only be a good thing. I, I just think there's. Um, I went and I had to do a piece about uh, non-league football in England and the incredible crowds that that that, that are being seen in what is the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth divisions of English football. And I think there might be a similar kind of buzz, I hope, around the restart of uh, the League of Ireland. And if you get that kind of money through the turnstiles, that increased profile, increased enthusiasm, then you might get increased investment. And And suddenly you have a turning point, and let's hope we're at it. Yeah, and uh, the other thing, uh, it kind of ties into something we were just chatting about a couple of minutes ago, but in regards to the technical level of the players, of course they're going to learn um, a different way of playing the game in different European countries, but um, even back home here, obviously the emphasis has changed because of the way the modern game has changed in regards to everything's going to be playing out from the back and everything, and I, I was just looking at the names that are like this wave of players that are young Irish players that are coming through, and myself and uh, there was Emmett Malone from the Irish Times a few years ago I think it was October 2018 we were over we were invited over to a uh, Ireland under 15 training camp so this was the first wave of players uh, who were the, like the, this is their first age grade and first involvement at international level and I dug out the brochure there because I still had it and some of the names are kind of jumping out Evan Ferguson who is over at Brighton now of course and but yeah. he wasn't affected by the Brexit rule in the same way. Glorian Zinga, who's mentioned in your piece, James Abankwa, uh, was on the standby list for that um, as well, and he's just gone to Udinese. So there, uh, the the fact that European clubs are also looking at Ireland, it must be also down to the fact that the players are operating on a higher technical level now, um, with the change in the emphasis of the game. I, I yeah, I think they're operating on a different technical level. I don't know, you know, we 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 have to. It remains to be seen whether it's higher because Ireland has always had very technical players. It's just, and this is something that's um, bothered me for for a long, long time, is that the stereotype um, set by the Charlton years doesn't really reflect. Isn't it? Isn't a true reflection of the kind of football that Irish football has always produced, uh, north and south of the border. You know, Liam Brady, Johnny Giles, George Best. You know, Danny Blanchflower. These, you know, Robbie Keane, Roy Keane, I doubt if any of them were six foot. So this idea that Irish football has to be um, long ball headed to the big man, it it, it just grew and grew. And I don't think it represented what Irish football really is. And I think that Stephen Kenny, what he is doing is trying is, he is a man of this moment and a man of this era. And I think that the kind of football that he's trying to play chimes with what what is happening, but also what the boys want to play and what players want to play. They want to play this kind. Of, they want to play Pep Guardiola football because it's interesting and it's uh, enjoyable, and it isn't rigid. Um, you know, there's a fluidity to it, and I think it's. Um, I think that hopefully that kind of coaching that's going on and the different style of play will suit Irish boys because, you know, you, you walk around the streets of, of Ireland, that, you know, it isn't full of tall Dutchmen. It isn't like that. You know, it's, it, you know, we need to, we need to think about the physique of players and the physique of people and, and what suits, what suits us. And that's, I would say, feet first football, you know, and hopefully, that will that will come as well, and 
you know, so it might, it's a coincidence of things. I, I think Stephen Kenny is a coincidence of, of, um, uh, of, you know, his appointment is a coincidence. You know, I'm not sure if that was wholly planned that he would chime with the times, but, you know, let's hope so. Yeah, certainly. And uh, the final point, and it's the sort of the final passage in your uh, in the in, in your article in the Athletic. It's uh, what you mentioned before: the finances and the 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 hope that a League of Ireland clubs can financially benefit if players are moving to um, you know to big clubs like AC Milan and um, and others. And you you mentioned the example of Seamus Coleman, of course, who moved over to Everton from Sligo Rovers for sixty thousand uh, many 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 years ago. And uh, we look at James Abankwa moving for 500k, but is there a sense of urgency from the people you've spoken to in regards to making sure that there are possibly contracts that can, um, you know, tie down the players, but also it means that uh, if they are sold, there is a, there is a financial outlay there. And obviously the problem here is there's always been a sense of uncertainty within the league in term, for, for certain clubs, particularly in terms of survival. So... Uh, that might be difficult to do to be able to offer those uh, those type of deals. Well, well, that you know, that's the thing is that the, the infrastructure isn't there, um, and there isn't an industry, as Gerald Brown said, and as as Stephen Kenny has said before, there isn't a football industry in Ireland. We have, you know, there is the beginnings of one, but you can't have, you know, clubs that run are run by volunteers can't be expected to be professional, you know, so. It, so they will take they will take low fees, but that's what I mean. If there's investment goes into the clubs, then they can start employing professional people, and they can start then offering fifty two week contracts, which will change, you know, the contractual status of the players, and then they can ask for you know proper compensation whenever there's transfers, you know. So that's and that then it becomes a virtuous circle, then you know, and that then feeds up and up, and and you just hope that that keeps on going because as it stands 42 week contracts just don't you know it it helps players move in one sense uh, and it helps agents move them but it doesn't really bring a lot of cash into uh, the Irish football economy and that's what unfortunately that's what needs to change you know there needs to be more um, uh, investment yeah and we'll see how that develops over over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I may be, I may sound very optimistic. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, we obviously have to set out what the future may possibly look like in the uh, in the in the more utopian model. But um, you're um, of course for anybody who wants to read your article, it's on the Athletic. Brexit denies Irish youngsters a clear path to English football, but they have new options. So Michael Walker, thanks a million uh, for taking the time. And of course, anybody who wants to read some of your books, uh, the Green Shoots is one I would certainly recommend. Anyway, personally. Thanks. Thanks very much, Ralph. Thanks for your time. All right, that was the interview with Michael Walker. Um, Ed and Anthony, thanks a mill for joining me this week. I suppose, as you said, just before we brought the interview on, Ed, um, this this sort of education that players are getting um, or will be getting when they go abroad, like it's only going to benefit us, I suppose, in the uh, in the long term. And as he kind of mentioned, as Michael mentioned in the piece, in, in regards, Stephen Kenny has sort of been appointed at a coincidental time where we're kind of moving in this direction. Yeah, like absolutely, and um, like it's it, it's been there. Like you know, credit to the FAI, it's been they've been working on this for a while now since Luke Doctor came over and all sorts of um, 
things being put in place to try and get try and get all teams playing the same way and getting that sort of football and philosophy built into them from, from that young age. And Stephen Kenny's the right man to do it. Um, and you know, you'll you'll see more and more of these transfers, won't you? You you you'll, you'll see it. I mean, even the lads who are going to England now are, when they're a bit older, they're they're suddenly going straight into uh, into good football insides and they're they're showing that they've already got the education that, that they need to, to make a good career out of out of uh, in in the in for the good football career for the rest of their life, I suppose. Yeah, because actually, it, as I said it to Michael in the interview, there was something that it kind of sparked a memory when we were kind of talking about the develop the way Irish football has been developed. Now, I remember the FAI um, invited a few journalists to an Ireland under fifteen training camp, and this was back in twenty eighteen. And I stood the brochure from the thing because I went down. There was Emmett Malone from the Irish Times there. I think a couple of others as well. And some of the names jump out. Evan Ferguson was there. I think with his, with, obviously the parents were there too. But Evan Ferguson was in that squad. James Abankwa was on that standby list. And then um, Inzingo, who's at Stad Rem as well, was another who was also involved there. So we were actually just seeing the first fruits of that. And of course, uh, Jason Donahue, who's the Ireland under fifteen head coach. Uh, that was kind of what he was instilling as well, just even watching some of the training from the side of the pitch, just that thing of splitting the centre halves, playing out from the back, playing patient football, and we're only starting to see, I suppose, the, the fruits of that, Anthony. Yeah, uh, I think the, the other side of this, although it's great to see, and I agree everything with everything Ed said there, but from the Irish club's point of view, um, there's the danger that you know the, the scouts from France, Germany, Italy, Spain, um, they will be all over the Irish underage game now because there's some potential for obviously talented young players, but also really, really cheap, you know, peanuts. Um, and the challenge now is for Irish clubs, can they tie down the best of their prospects, at, identify them at 15, 16, and tie them down to four-year deals so that when they, if they lose them, they are cherry-picked that they get compensated for having developed them for a few years and put a hell of a lot of work into them. St. Pat's with Abanqua um, sort of took a, a bit of a stance with Udinese um, over that sale and reports are that they got a, a good deal. You know, they got, uh, I think it's upwards of a, a million euro for them. Um, and that's only right, you know, that's only right and proper. So it, this is the twin, uh, the duality of the whole situation is that on one hand it's a brilliant opportunity for young Irish players and we hope that we see the fruits of it in the international teams in, in the years to come um, but also can Irish clubs nail down an infrastructure where they can start to reap the rewards of this and have tangible financial rewards that can then get pumped back into the game and you start to generate a bit of an industry uh, really for the first time you know, there's a lot at stake here. It's, it's a big, big opportunity. And, and that's the thing that we'll see over the coming years. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it is good to see these moves and it's a great opportunity. And I, even like I remember speaking to um, Ryan Nolan a couple of years ago, a fellow from Clare who was at, at Inter Miami, which was unusual. Even only two or three years ago, it was highly unusual. He had, his family had moved to Spain when he was a kid and he'd been picked up by a scout in Spain and ended up in Inter Milan. Um, now he's at Getafe now. I think he's, he's playing with Getafe's B team. So it didn't work out from Inter Milan, but he has three languages. You know, he's traveled all around Europe getting a football education and a, and a formal education. And if nothing else, it's, it's a brilliant life experience. And, and you could tell by talking to this chap in 19, he was so rounded and mature. So it's, it's all positive for them. But as I said, we hope that we see that it comes full circle and there's a benefit for uh, Irish football, grassroots football here and Irish League of Ireland football here from this 
Yeah, and actually, as you mentioned, um, some of these young players kind of being very re- well-rounded and being able to kind of talk about football in the right way. I mean, uh, James Abanqua, I was just watching him last week, just after the move was confirmed, chatting to Jamie uh, from St. Pat's uh, just about that move, about everything he expected, like everything he was expecting when going to Italy and just came across very mature. And the same thing with Carl Heffernan when he was t- chatting to Tony as well. I mean... I don't know how I would have come across at like 16, 17. If you stick a microphone and a camera in my face, I would have started screaming and running away in another direction properly. But it's just, it's it's very noticeable. And they're not the only ones. It seems to be just across the board. They just come across well, look, that way. You, you only have to look at him play, Raph. Like he came on in the cup final off the bench, 17 at the time, in a, like a game on a knife edge, 40,000, nearly 40,000 people you leave it. And he was extremely impressive I mean that's a gauge of a player's temperament not just ability but temperament how can they handle pressure situations he was immaculate when he came on absolutely brilliant uh, you hear the likes of Gavin Bazunu uh, speak or Quiven Keller they're very very similar you know mature composed articulate uh, impressive impressive young guys like so um, yeah I don't know if that's just is that an individual thing or is it, is it a, a, a signifier of um, their wider developments at clubs now. I, I don't. I'm not really sure. I, I couldn't answer that, but for sure, it's they are. Those individuals are particularly impressive. Yeah, but anyway, I think that brings us up uh, for this week. Hopefully, next week uh, we'll be chatting to Diane Caldwell. As we mentioned at the start, she's just made the move to Manchester United, who she's supported her entire life. But uh, Ed and Anthony, thanks a million for taking the time this week, and we'll be back next week.